All right. We continue our discussion on the proper distinction between law and gospel. This is what the, the hour number six discuss, discussing this, I think. We can't go back and review everything, but we do have to go back and review one. We definitely have to go back and review one. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to approach this slowly, okay? So let me just say this in advance. If you disagree, that's fine. I don't even care. All I want you to do is at least understand the situation, understand the distinction, understand the reason for the distinction, you can believe whatever you want. I've given up worrying about what people believe anymore. I, I, all I care about is trying to at least make sure you understand the situation as it is within modern day church history. Okay, Now in modern day church history, I have tried countless times uh, to get everyone to read the book, the gospel according to Jesus because of its profound impact on the evangelical world. Uh, we have multiple copies here. We have the original. We have the updated. We have the anniversary one. We have them all, all right? Because of how that book so profoundly impacted the minds of evangelicals. I became a Christian really when that book, about the time that book was released, and I just thought, because, you know, everyone knows how my Christian life worked. I got saved and like, okay, church doesn't teach me anything, so I'll go to a Christian bookstore and immediately started buying books. And that was the beginning of the end of my Christian life because I started realizing all, well, I, I stumbled upon that book and thought that's the way Christianity was. I didn't really understand that there was a, a difference until I went to a Lutheran church and then I didn't quite understand the distinction they were trying to make until much until really until I went to a Catholic university and then realized, wait a minute, I've been a Catholic my whole life, okay? So because basically Protestantism is Catholicism just in disguise. That's basically what it's become. So um, when we talk about this, please understand we're dealing with a lot of modern church history, and many of you are going to immediately disagree, and that's perfectly okay. But I just so that you know, one. Our, our own confession to this church, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, has two chapters on the distinction of law. It has chapter 19 and chapter 20 dealing with law and gospel. So I've asked everyone to read that a hundred times. And on this very subject, I have an entire series on the internet on it that I've done within the last, I don't know, year, maybe two years. And then on our, my series I did on the Sermon on the Mount, I spent considerable hours dealing with the subject there as well. So this has been talked about and talked about and talked about. So all I'm saying is if you hear something now, don't act shocked or surprised because it's been on the internet and I've given you every resource in my power to make sure everyone understands this countless times. So, I, 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 so if anyone disagrees, that's okay. Just note that it's nothing new. All right? It's nothing new. Uh, we, we've been talking about it for a long time. All right, so here we go. All right, it, we are looking at the book, God's No and God's Yes. And we're using it as kind of a foundation starting point where we're looking at 25 theses dealing with the proper distinction between law and gospel. We define law as what? Do this. And you will be saved. Do, remember, we've got to get that next phrase. Do this and you will be saved. Do this and live. Gospel. Christ has done this to save you. Christ has done this so that you can live. All right? Remember that distinction. What we have to avoid is what? Mixing the two. Because when you mix the two, what gets obliterated? The law is never obliterated because by nature we're law-based. All right? The gospel gets obliterated, and we talked about some different ways. We've made it through these, uh, we've made it up to what number were we at? Uh, Sarah, what number did we stop at? We, we stopped at number 14. Okay, now we stopped at number 15, and that's where we had some, some issues, all right? Number 10 was the big one. That, one, whoa, that caused some problems on Wednesday, okay? Um, and, but that, the sermon's been online since, what, about 30 minutes after I got home on Wednesday, okay? We, dot, we looked at number 11, we looked at number 12, we looked at number 13, and number 14 caused a little bit of trouble, but that comes straight from the London Baptist Confession of Faith, so everyone here should already be familiar with it. And then that brought us to number 15, where we ran into a little bit of an issue, okay? 
So I'm going to read number 15, and then I'm going to bring up some of the issues we covered in the first hour because I want to make sure everyone who's present and everyone listening online will understand exactly at least the differences here. Okay, here we go. Number 15. The Word of God is not rightly divided. Every one of them start that way, so you can just write those all. You can write that down for every point, and you'll, you can save yourself in writing your notes. The Word of God is not rightly divided when the gospel is turned into a preaching of repentance. The Word of God is not rightly divided when the gospel is turned into a preaching of repentance. And the more, the more conservative the evangelical church is, the more you will hear, repent, 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 repent. It's preached constantly. Now the issue becomes, how do we understand repentance? So I asked in the first hour, very simple question. There are two ways of defining repentance that has divided modern church history. A large reason, reason, reason there has been a division is because of that book. All right? This book, which we've talked about a bunch of times. I've had long discussions online in regards to this distinction. What are the two ways of defining... People in the first hour cannot answer. All right? Okay, you can't, because now you're going to act like, see, what's everyone else's problem, okay? okay all right, no, you can't do it, all right? But I got to make sure everyone in the church understands this. What are the, ch- and I don't care which one you hold to. I literally don't care, so you don't need to argue with me, okay? All right, there are two ways of defining repentance. What are the two ways? Go! <laughs> Stop laughing, Sarah. Stop laughing. Why are you laughing at me? You're laughing at my pain, okay? There are two ways of defining this. You don't even need to go to this church and you should know this. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, we'll put it this way. Forget me. Everyone here has to have a a working definition of repentance. I mean, you have to, right? All right, what are the two ways of defining repentance? Go. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Oh, I told you, I don't care what you believe. It's not even about being right or wrong here. I just need to know if everyone knows the two ways. I just need to know the two ways. Okay, all right. She's kind of going with the MacArthur kind of way. All right. So one definition of repentance is repentance is a turning away from doing wrong. It's a turning away from sin. It's a turning away from doing something wrong. It's a change in behavior. You're this way, you turn this way. It's a change, right? That is the way put forth by MacArthur. Okay, good. All right. Do I? Okay, that's, that's the way it's typical, and that's the way almost all your Christian friends will believe, right? That's what they will believe. Okay. All right. Now, to do that, what happens to the gospel? Why does it get obliterated? That means the gospel now is you do something, you turn. Now, some say, no, 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 God will grant you the repentance. Well, then if God grants me the repentance, then I should be able to turn from what kind of sin? All sin, but does it work that way? No. So God only gives me partial repentance, and if I don't turn away from the sin, then you can't blame me. You'd have to blame God. Okay, well, so that leads to all kinds of problems, all right? So at least, but this is the normal way that it's taught. Now, that's the typical way it's taught. You've got to turn from something. So you preach the gospel by saying, Bobby, repent, turn from your sin, and believe the gospel. And then how do I know if Bobby truly believed the gospel? By his repentance. And how do I know if his repentance is genuine? By his actions. So guess what he's ultimately saved by? 
by his actions. And I don't care how you play the game, that's what it comes down to, right? In fact, I, I did about 20 hours of review of a series of sermons that were preached at a church in Iowa where he says the Sermon on the Mount. That is the test to prove if your repentance is genuine. If you obey the Sermon on the Mount, your repentance is genuine. And if your repentance is genuine, you're saved. And if your repentance isn't genuine, you're not saved. So how do you know you're saved? You obey the Sermon on the Mount. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard because it's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Has anyone ever accomplished that? Then no one is saved. But yet they preached it and everybody was in the church going, Amen, Amen, Amen. I'm like, I wouldn't be saying Amen. I'd be like, oh no, I'm running. To the altar or out. Okay, one way or the other, right? I mean, I'm up the creek. All right, so that, that's definition number one. Repentance is a change of action. What's rep, uh, definition number two? Mr. Goodlett should know this. This is this divided independent fundamental Baptist forever. This is like a massive issue in the independent fundamental Baptist world. I remember this, man. Woo, this got heated debates going on in the independent fundamental Baptist world. Because it all came from this book. Remember when the independent fundamental Baptists were screaming and yelling about MacArthur? I mean, man, it was, it was a big deal, okay? And man, the second one. There we go! Yes! There we go! Bobby knows. Bobby knew both of them, okay? He was just holding out on me. All right, good. All right, a change of mind. A change of mind. And it's a change of mind about what? God, Christ, sin. Yeah, you're changing your mind about it. Okay, now, when we looked up the Greek word, which was what? Metanao, right? And what, did, what was the Greek word? Means? Oh, no, it means a change of mind. How is that possible? How can the word mean change of mind, but everyone teaches as it means a change of action? So what do we... Now, if you remember... When I, because I struggled with this, because I knew what the Greek word meant. So how do we usually get around the, the meaning of the Greek word? Oh, we love doing that. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. I even preached it that way. That sounds good. Change your mind, it will change your behavior. But then what does this happen to the gospel? Repent, repent, repent. How do I know you repented? By, if you change your mind, your actions will follow. So did your actions change? If your actions change, then your repentance was genuine. If your repentance is not genuine, you're not saved. So really, the gospel really isn't what Christ did for you. The gospel becomes how much you repent. Did you repent the right way to be saved? So it really becomes about, and if you say, no, 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 no. It's about Christ doing it. Just please know the problem you walk yourself into. If I say Christ is the one who gives me repentance, Christ is the one who changes me, my action, well then my action would either be perfect, and if my action doesn't change, back off, God hasn't given me the repentance to that action. And nobody ever is allowed to say that, are you? Or they say, well since God didn't give you a change in your action, then you were never saved. It just becomes mindless words. But if it's a change of mind... Well, anyone who's a Christian has changed their mind, right? Hey, you change your mind that, oh, I'm a sinner. Christ is the Savior. Christ died for me. That's a change of mind. And we believe that change of mind is given to us by whom? God. God has to grant repentance. God has to give us faith, right? He has to give us both. But that, that's easy to say. If I say that it, no change of behavior God has to give me, well, then it would be a perfect change of behavior. Or any lack of change of behavior is on whose fault? becomes God's fault. The church, the church never takes it to its logical conclusion. So, when we come to law and gospel in a proper distinction, I don't, you can reject it. I don't, that, I'm not even here arguing with that. The claim is, once the gospel becomes basically, as they put it, is turned into the preaching of repentance, you're no longer, you've destroyed the distinction between law and gospel. Does everybody understand that? 
Because you're basically telling everyone to do what? Repent, 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 repent. Oh, you'll throw in believe, but then the belief is determined by your repentance, your change, your change. And so it's no longer what Christ did for you. It's what you're doing or what you will do or what you should do. And so you're always trying to determine if your repentance was genuine enough. And how will you ever know? Because are your actions ever going to be perfect? No. Let's make it very clear. If we're not Catholic, if we're not Catholic, does faith change your nature? Does the old nature still remain? Do you still have a sinful nature? And your, your faith that saves you, the, the, but we're saved by faith, I should say. <clears throat> we can go back to the previous points that we've made that, y'all, that some of you missed, but that's okay. The, no, I'm saying in the last hour. I'm saying the last hour. Okay. The, the faith that we're saved, just remember, it does not bring in an infused righteousness. We are granted an imputed righteousness. All right? Does everybody understand that? Now, if, I, if Sarah is saved by an imputed righteousness, what should I expect from Sarah? <clears throat> say, say it again, Bobby. Nothing. Nothing. Why should I not expect anything from her? Not her righteousness. Not a righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness. If she believes and then I say, come on, show me righteousness, show me righteousness, then I believe she is saved by what? An infused righteousness. And guess what I should do? Leave this church... Don't go to another Protestant church. Go where? Go to a Catholic church. And I got no problem if you go return to Catholicism. In fact, I would be, I would be more, I would have more respect for that than to go to a fake Protestant church where you're claiming to be a Protestant when all you're teaching is a Protestant version of Catholicism. And remember, that's what, that was what so was disturbing to me when I started going to a Catholic university and they were like, you're just a Catholic. No, I'm not. Like, you're teaching an infused, your whole lordship thing. That's just Catholicism. And then I'm like, what have I done? I, I, no, no, I, no, I'm not a Catholic. No, I'm not a Catholic. If I'm going to be Catholic, then I just need to go full in. We just, we'll, go, we'll turn Victory Baptist Church into a Victory Catholic Church. Okay, we'll just go full Catholicism. But then everybody would lose their mind. But then everybody, but then people still want the Catholic idea. We're not saved by an infused righteousness. Is everybody, what are we saved by? Imputed. Whose obedience saves us? Christ. Passive and active. Whose obedience has nothing to do with my salvation? Mine. Why can't it not have anything to do with my salvation? Well, because it would never be good enough. Never be good enough. I, I remember, what are the three scriptures I can give everyone to prove that lordship salvation is fraudulent? What are the three? Well, no, I'll just go with the three. Love, I'm going to give you law. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Has anybody ever done it? Come close? No. Love your neighbor as yourself? Be holy as God is holy. Nobody's ever completed that in any way, shape, or form. Well, if I'm going to judge my salvation based on what I do, I'll just start with those three, and those three would lead me where? So then I have to do what? Modify the test. And so well, what do we say, Bobby? Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. But, but not going to do it perfectly. And I mean, sometimes it may be there. Well, then at some point, I just so destroy the test that the test doesn't. Make. Don't you wish it? that's the way it worked in school? Here's your math test, but no one's going to get all the questions right. And you're not, you know, some of, but you can still pass. Well, what kind of test is that? That obliterates with an A because in this particular case, you go to heaven. Well, then wait, when can salvation be determined by a test? Now, I, I got no problem giving it. You know what? Actually, give me the test. Give me the test. Give me the test. That's why the Bible says I can be judged according to my works. Come on, give me the test. Do you love God? Look to Christ. Did he love the Father with all of his heart, mind, body, and soul? Love your neighbor as yourself. Did he love his neighbor? He loved even his enemies. Did, was he holy as God is holy? Okay, guess what? I just passed the test. Right. Does that make sense? 
So when you turn the gospel into repentance, meaning a change of action, you destroy the gospel and you turn your salvation into something you do and it would require something like an infused righteousness in order to be able to do it. All right, does that make sense? All right, next. What'd be the next number? 16. All right. Everybody got that one? Everybody understand the two differences in repentance, right? Everybody got those? All right. If we don't get anything today, that's becoming the focus for today. I don't care which one you hold to. I just want you to know the distinction. If you believe repentance is a change of action, then what would you, and you say that your salvation is based off that, what do you have to demonstrate to me? That you have sufficient change in action and you got to tell me how that doesn't destroy the gospel. Right? Now, do I hope a change of mind would lead to a change of action? Yes, obviously. Obviously. But it's, it's not going to do it perfectly. All right? It can't because what still remains? The sinful nature. That's what everyone always leaves out. All right, here's the next one. How does it start? Okay, the Word of God is not rightly divided. Everybody got that. Here we go. The Word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher... That's that's where it always starts, right? The Word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher... When I... That's where it always usually goes wrong first, okay? The, The Word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher tries... To make people believe that they are truly converted. It doesn't stop there. Let me read that again. The Word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher tries to make people believe that they are truly converted. Everybody got that? Let me read it again. As soon as they have become rid of certain vices and engage in certain works. Now there's a little bit more, but we'll stop it right there because that's sufficient. All right, everybody ready to say that with me? The word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher tries to make people believe that they're truly converted as soon as they have become rid of certain vices and engage in certain works. You're all familiar with this kind of Christianity, right? Bobby, how do you know you're saved? I used to drink. I don't. I used to cuss. I don't. Most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time, okay. All right? That points salvation, that, that points to salvation to what? To a reformation of one's life or a change. Now here here becomes the problem, right? First, we have the problem of, say, Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? We cast out demons. We did miracles. We preached in your name. Depart from me. I never knew you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Time out, time out, time out. That cannot be right. That can't be right. You are not saved based off what you do. You are saved by what Christ did. 
That makes salvation a law thing, not a gospel thing. And I know you don't like that because everything in you go, but because I can already hear in the mind some people, but, 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 are you saying someone can believe and not do this 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 and not do this? Well, you're saying that someone is saved by what they do. You know, no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying if they believe, they will do. Will they? Because I know this, no matter how much you believe, what still exists inside of you? Sinful nature. See, that, that, that's, the, that's the thing I would forget. That's the thing everyone forgets. We forget that the sinful nature doesn't go away unless you go MacArthur's route and basically believe in the eradication of the old nature. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. The old nature is not eradicated. The old nature is what? Alive and well, alive and kicking, alive, kicking, screaming, biting, gnawing. It's there. It's inside of you. It doesn't go away. But you're not saved because you've showed a, There's all kinds of people who've had a reform. Have you ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous? People who used to do A, B, C, D, E, they don't do it anymore. In many cases, it has nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with anything. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, Buddhist. And that's why a lot of times people go, I know people of other religions who are far better than the Christians I know. You're right. They probably are. I mean, I, I, I've struggled with it. How in the world, because if we believe Catholics believe a false gospel, come on, show me a 14, 15-year-old Protestant girl willing to lay down on the floor and give herself to the church, never to be married, never have a boyfriend, and become a nun. That's commitment. And we'll say, oh, and then immediately the Protestants will go, but, 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 no, 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 no. See, that's a false religion. It's legalism. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that I'm saved if I do A, B, C, D. Well, if we're going to say so, how can I compare myself to that? That would be the true sign of conversion. Let you give up everything for Christ, right? Aren't you supposed to die yourself? Die to yourself? Right? That's why I remember in the early church, the joke was there was more people in monasteries than there were in cities, more Christians, because they thought that's what they were supposed to do to show that they were truly saved. We always want to make it law-based. We destroy when we look at people and go, you're saved based on what you... you how many people have gone to church with people whose lives looked amazing? Looked amazing! They, they looked godly. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. He wasn't at the strip club. He wasn't sleeping with prostitutes. He wasn't looking at porn. He's a great guy. And now where are they today? Many of them don't even go to church anymore or even profess the name of Christ. Their, their good life wasn't a proof of conversion, was it? No, you know. Think about all the people you know who you went to church with. Where are they today? Not, not all of them, but many of them are nowhere near a church. Nowhere near it. Why? Because conversion is not based off what you do. It's based off what Christ did. He accomplished. We've got to maintain that distinction between law and gospel. All right? Now, I know I'm already probably getting on the internet. But, 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 but. Just calm down. Take a deep breath. If we can make it through our... I was nervous about the whole repentance thing. You can make it through whatever you're going through currently online. Okay, hang on. I've got to make sure I'm not getting bombarded here. Okay, good. All right. All right. Everybody got that one? All right, what number are we on? Oh, man, we're close. 17. Are we going to make it? No, we won't make it because when we get to the next one, all the wheels are going to come off, okay? And it's, everything's going to blow up and the ship is going to sink and the house is going to burn down, okay? Everything. All right, here we go. The next one. How does it start? The Word of God is not rightly divided. You can go ahead and write that down. It just saves time. You don't, it just saves you from getting confused, all right? Here we go. The word of God is not rightly divided. When a description, when a description is given of faith, 
So everything goes wrong here when someone describes faith in a certain way. When uh, the word of God is not rightly divided, when a description is given of faith, both as regards its strength and the consciousness or consciousness and productiveness of it. We can reword that if you want. When you write, uh, the word of God is not rightly divided when a description of faith is given in regards to the strength and productiveness of that faith. In other words, when you describe faith in regards to what it supposedly does or what it supposedly produces, that does not fit all believers at all times. In other words, if you say faith, I define faith based off how, what it, what it does, what it produces, and I, and I describe it that way, I know that it's not going to fit all believers the same way at all times, correct? So then guess what happens? What, what does this immediately produce? If I describe faith in a way based off, hey, faith is defined by what it does, what it produces, I know that not all believers at all times, it's going to define that, correct? So then I'm going to be walking around calling a lot of people's faith into question. See, if I describe faith as it produces this, or it does this, or it does this, or it does this, or it's, it's conscious of this, or that, if I name all of these things, then I basically am going to obliterate who can even think that they're saved, because it's not going to describe everyone the same way at all times. Do all Christians' lives look the same? In this room, does everyone's Christian life look the same? Absolutely not. Is everyone's Christian life in here uh, uh, have the same spiritual desire, the same spiritual hunger, have the same spiritual knowledge, has the same spiritual fruit? Has, like, it, there's probably not even, there may be very even little similarity in all of us, correct? Well, then if I define faith that way, guess what? I'm now focusing faith on what? what it, I'm, fo- I'm turning faith into what? Law. Because it's focused on what it does, what you do, what, what's produced. Not gospel. That becomes a problem. It becomes a major problem. And we describe that a lot of ways. We focus a repentance on a change and we focus faith on what it does. What it, what, what's the, you all know the saying that's said in Protestant churches everywhere. We're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves doesn't remain alone. It's going to produce this, 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 this. So what do I look like? I don't look to what Bobby believes. I look to the fact of what his faith produces. So once, once again, what am I looking for? Works. 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 Isn't it amazing how we find work, we bring works into everything? I think in some ways, uh, Protestants have more work as a more works-based system than Catholicism. Well, we yell and scream that they're going to hell because they believe in a, they don't believe in a gospel of grace. We don't believe in a gospel of grace. Give me a break. We've so obliterated it that it's not even funny. So does that one make sense? I kind of reworded it there and changed some things, but you get the basic idea. All right, because we got to get to the next one. This one is, seems so contradictory. Well, you know that. Yeah, the word of God is not rightly divided. So you, know, you, you got that part down. All right. Now, when I read this, I'm just going to read it fast first. Okay? So don't even try to write it down. When you hear it, you're going to be like, what in the world is going on? I am so confused. And I am a little perplexed as well, what he's trying to say. But I want, this is what I want to demonstrate here. All right, here's what I want to demonstrate with this point, because I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. I can rewrite it, but before I rewrite it, I want you to, I want you to, when you hear it, I want you to go, wait a minute, that seems to go against everything we've talked about. And here's what I want to show you. 
when we try to come up with a proper distinction between law and gospel, I want everyone to understand how difficult this really is. This is not easy. And you know why it's not easy? Because we struggle mightily as believers with a Bible. Remember, we started this entire series that at times seems to be completely contradictory. I mean, it, it's mind-boggling how confusing it is. Right? Let me give you, I'll just give you some examples. The Bible says that I'm saved by grace alone, faith alone, because of Christ alone, right? Or faith, now, of course, Catholics would say the word alone isn't there. But okay, we get the idea. We, we, we believe the Bible teaches we're, we're justified by faith alone. We're declared righteous by faith alone, right? Sounds so good. Then the same Bible would turn around and say that you're going to be judged according to your Works. Well, wait, how does we? And that, according to Romans 2, your works is going to either determine whether you're saved or whether you are lost. In other words, that's not just like a, well, that's a works judgment. For, no, remember, Paul makes it very clear that that's going to be your salvation. And you're like, what? How Paul? In the very book where he says that we're justified. Remember, we spent like months working on that. Our series on Romans 2 is online. We, we spent forever working on that. That is so, remember how confusing it was? And we went through a book giving us like six possible different ways of looking at it because nobody knows what to do with it. Right? The Bible seems to say that we're justified by faith alone. James comes along and says, that's not true. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't work. And then we have things like 1 John that seems to say, if you don't do this, 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 you're not saved. So then we have to try to modify that. Well, he doesn't mean, well, I mean, no, he seems to be very clear. If you don't love others, you're not saved. Well, okay. If you walk in darkness, you're not saved. Well, then we have to try to lessen what that means so that we have any hope of possibly pulling it off. Then you got the Sermon on the Mount that some people would say proves whether you're saved or not saved. Before it's over, you're just completely baffled and confused. So people get very upset about this and get mad, right? Like when I started moving away from the Lordship, people, some people got upset with me. But yeah, I, look, I, it's not my fault. I mean, again, what the whole thing that messed me up is when basically you got Catholic priests going, don't you see that you're basically preaching Catholicism, and then you're kind of like, oh, I feel stupid. I mean, how could I convince them that I wasn't when it's clear that I was? But this is a complicated issue. So even in a book that's trying to draw a proper distinction, sometimes you read some of these points and you're like, I think that contradicts everything you said because they still try, everyone's trying to figure out how you make this work. Because typically, the more conservative you are, what is the fear of the conservative Christian? Yeah, you're, you're, the, the fear of the conservative Christian is, oh, we got false believers, they got false professions, and we got to make sure that the professions are genuine, and we got to give them a test, and we don't want all of this easy believism and this cheap grace. No, we got to make sure that people are living what they claim. That, that preach is good. Until you're like halfway honest with how many would be condemned by it, right? But I understand that. On the liberal side, they're usually more worried about not, not becoming legalist. So, there, and there, so there's always extremes that can erupt within Christianity. And it's hard to find the biblical middle. When you, we read this point, you're going to be like, I don't understand what is happening right now, okay? So here we go. You ready? The word of God is not rightly divided when the universal corruption of mankind, and you don't have to write this down right now, is described in such a manner as to create the impression that even true believers are still under the spell of ruling sins and are sinning purposely. What just happened? Does that not seem to go against everything we've talked about? This becomes a major problem. 
Because he's basically saying, hey, don't, don't believe the corruption is so strong. Like, you're not rightly dividing the word of truth if you believe that the corruption that remains in the believer is so strong that we are still being ruled by sins and we're purposely sinning. But we, every sin we do is on purpose. We may not be out of control, but I mean, we sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? Our very nature sins. Right. I mean, we sin continually. This almost tries to say that salvation lessens the depravity that's inside of us, which is dangerous, 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 dangerous. Now, if I go to the page where they try to talk about this, which we will cover in more detail, it's page 83 of the book. And I'm just going to read a little bit of what they say here. All right? Maybe this will help us understand what they're trying to say. Because I read that and I'm like, whoa. Here's, here's what I'm fundamentally, I'll just make sure everyone knows my perspective here. I'm fundamentally committed to this truth. Our sinful nature remains perfectly intact after salvation. It does not go away. It is not lessened. What changes is my thinking about it. I acknowledge that it exists. I try to fight it. I try to mortify it, but it's still there. And I know that I continue to sin in thought, word, and deed by what I do and by what I leave undone, and I sin all the time. And guess what? I sin many cases, and I sin on purpose for this reason. I know that what I now know as a Christian what is sin, and I still do. I know I'm supposed to love my enemy. I know I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I don't do that. Well, that's on purpose if I know not to do it and do it, right? I mean, I would hope Eli knows that he can't go home today, grab a baseball bat, and smash the television. Would everyone believe that he knows not to do that? Right? Okay? Now, if he walks into the front door, grabs a baseball bat, smashes it, and says, hey, it wasn't on purpose. I'm assuming Mr. Goodlett may have some strong words, right? Or another bad. Or another, or another bad, okay, right? Agreed? I, so I, I think it's really hard to say we don't do it on purpose because we know right from wrong. That, that's the one thing as a Christian, we know right from wrong. The more we study the Bible, well, the more I know what's right. I know I'm not supposed to look at a woman with lust. The Bible says not to. You know not to gossip, not to slander, not to deceive. All the wives, you know you're supposed to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So, you know, I don't know. Does it work for Sarah, Diane, does Miss Goodlett, for y'all to say, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. I didn't mean to. I mean, you don't even let your kids get away with that after so long, right? It wasn't on purpose, Mom. Yeah, you're 17 now, okay? You're 47, okay? Okay? I, there's a, in that sense, it's on purpose. And when you say ruling sins, well, if we continue, look, remember I always say this. Remember, I get really bought. This is taught within the evangelical world on almost every, every church you know in Abilene. I guarantee all of them teach this. In the evangelical world, the Catholic world would word it different, that because of Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. The power of sin. Yes. Don't you love that? That means now you can say no to sin and you can say yes to God. Oh, I've done about 100 podcasts on this. Well, if that's true... If I'm saved from the power of sin, then I can stop sinning. Churches who say that, they have, oh, wait, the pastor still sins. Everyone still sins. So clearly, you can't say that I'm saved from the power of something if I can't stop doing it. If I can't stop sinning, then I'm still under the power of that sin. And you say, well, you won't commit certain sins. So, okay, then all I have to do if I live to be a hundred is just go from each individual sin and say, okay, I'm going to stop that one. I'm going to, you think after about 20 years, you've got most of them, right? So I'll go with three. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Be holy as God is holy. Anybody pulled any of those off? Wait, you're free from the power of sin. 
You see how ridiculous that, that preach is good. When you say that in any church, guess what you'll get? Amen. Amen. And then by the time they get home, they're already yelling, screaming at the kid in the back seat, yelling at their wife, getting frustrated, getting irritated, talking about the pastor. I'm like, wow, you were, so, you were so free from the power of sin, you couldn't get from the front door of the church to the front door of your house without sinning. Oh, come on. You know that that happens. That's probably happened many times to all the families here, right? <laughs> you're getting frustrated. You're getting near it. You're not showing love to them. You're not showing grace. You're not showing mercy. You're talking about so-and-so. You're gossiping. You're slandering. I mean, we all do it. Right. And that's why many times kids grow up in a Christian home going, Mom and Dad know better than anybody else. Well, you're right. They're not. And neither are you. All right, but look, I'm going to read this, okay? Because, all right, here we go. I am, they say, I am speaking of the claim that the universal corruption of mankind embraces living in dominant and willful sins on the parts of the believer. See, once again, it's dominant because I can't stop sinning. How can you say it's not dominant? That makes no sense to me. So guess what I'm going to say? Yeah, I mean, then you, you have to pretend like it's not dominant. Well, again, all I have to do, name one sin, and I, I can stop that sin. But if I continue to sin, then sin by definition is still dominant. Right? Okay, that's just insanity. All right, so well, let's go back to that one. All right, what number was, are we on? Okay, I got 15 different numbers right there. 18. Okay, good. Number 18. We're going to rework this. I'm going to say the word of God is not rightly divided. When the preacher says that the universal corruption of mankind is overcome, defeated, in salvation. I'm going to completely flip it around. All right, the word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher says that the universal corruption of mankind is overcome, defeated, and salvation. Now, I, could pro- I can probably work it out a little bit better, but that's just impromptu, just doing it right there. Because it's not, I'm sorry, it's, it, it doesn't, and you know why, you know why I'm going to flip this one around? Because I obliterate the gospel if I say that the gospel destroys all of this sin and, and this universal corruption, because now how do I know I believe the gospel? By the destruction of the sinful nature. So guess what, I'm gonna, how, how can I prove that? What am I going to look to again? Your actions, your actions, your actions. And I'm sorry, you know what your actions prove to me every single day and what my actions prove to me every single day? That the power of sin is alive and well. The sinful nature is alive and well. Do I wish it wasn't the case? Oh, I wish it wasn't the case. But it's the case. It's the case. It's the, I'm sorry. Anyone who online wants to disagree, disagree all day. You know what, typically when the people who disagree... Here, here's what, you know what I love is when people get upset about this subject and, 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 they, and they want to start arguing with me. It'll only take a, usually within a little bit of time. They, they will show disrespect. They will show that they are gossiping and slandering behind my back. They will say things about me that are completely not right or fair or even a correct representation of me. Yet, they will claim that that salvation changes you. And, and I was like, you can't even talk about me in the right way. And you're going to argue that salvation produces this big change in your life? At least talk about me the right way. Do you know how irritating that is? It's like, you're going to argue with me. And you're like, no, 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 no. I am free from the power of sin. You jerk. You piece of garbage. I'm going to gossip, slander. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to argue with you in the middle of whatever you're trying to do. Well, whoa, I think you just proved that you're still under the power of sin. So I guess you're not saved. So I guess if you're not saved, you probably shouldn't be arguing with me about theology. You see how I could use that on people? Now, what I typically do is just like, let them just, 
Go ahead, call me names, talk about me, gossip about me, slander, get with a bunch of other people, just say whatever you want about me, whatever, okay? Because you're just, all you're doing is proving my point. And don't we all do that? When we get mad and get frustrated with somebody, we gossip, we slander, and we show a lack of respect. Even with people we don't know. Because we do that, because, because of sin. Rarely, when I have people disagree with on this subject, you know what I don't think I've ever had happen? Someone call me and say, hey, I'm going to come over. I've spent about 12 hours working on this. Here's my study. Can we work through this? No, no, do I get that privilege? No, 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 I just get talked about. Well, all you're doing is demonstrating sin and how you're handling your disagreement with me on a doctrine that you should be... Look, if your doctrine is right, you should be the one handling it in the most godly way, Right? You should be the one who doesn't gossip, who doesn't slander, who shows respect, who shows love, who shows kindness, who shows mercy. I should be the one treat, acting like a jerk. Doesn't always, isn't it weird how it works that way? Because guess, guess what we all demonstrate? Our sin nature. All right, the last one for today. <laughs> this one's short. That's why I'm going to do this one. We all know how it starts, right? How does it start? The word of God is not rightly divided. When the preacher speaks of certain sins as if they were not of a damnable nature, but of a venial nature. <laughs> oh man, and you think, oh, that's about Catholicism. That is about us. Okay? The word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher speaks of certain sins as if they were not of a damnable nature, but of venial nature. In other words, when we preach about sin and we divide them into what categories? Mortal and venial. Do Protestants do that? Yes. Can. Can a woman uh, be unsubmissive to her husband, gossip, slander, backbite, have bitterness, be rude, be unkind, and be unloving, and probably never even have a problem within the world of Christianity? Is she going to get church discipline for any of that? No. She has an uh, extramarital affair. What will happen? church discipline, public shame. She can commit all those other sins every other day. Not an issue. Commit a sexual sin, pop, pop, pop! I know that's, that's violent, but that's what exactly happens. All the other sins, you can commit a million other sins, right? Pastors can be proud, arrogant, jerks, argue with people, no problem. Utterly destroy the preaching of God's word. No problem. Oh, but if it's anything sexual, they're done. Now, I'm not saying that we undermine sexual sin. I'm not. Please, you you understand what I'm trying to say here, right? Yes. Okay, you understand. I'm not trying to minimize any. I'm saying that what we do is by without even trying. There are certain sins that are worse than others. We all know we preach it that way. We know we all act that way. Someone commit a sin. Let's say Bojana commits something really bad, right? She commits a sin. The rest of us gossip about her, slander her, talk about her, judge her, and we'll feel like we're morally superior than her because she committed the big one. That's, you know how utterly twisted that is? Gossip, slander, talk about you, talk about you, talk about Just, they can't leave you. They can't talk without mentioning your name. But they're the godly ones. But the one who committed the sin, oh, ho, 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 ho. They're, the, they're trash. We, we, that, why does that destroy long gospel? Why does that destroy, obliterate long gospel? 
It obliterates law and gospel because now we're, we're making the law only about certain sins and minimize. We're taking the power of the law and we're, we're basically minimizing it, right? We're like, okay, this law is serious, but this law is not serious. We're, in that sense, we're kind of attacking the law. And the, we don't really believe that, but it's true. But here's what happens. So, and you know why we, why, and Protestants, you know why we create the mortal venial category? Why do you think we do so? Because we believe, how do you know that you're truly saved? By what you do. So what do we mean that you're saved by what you do? As long as you do and don't do any of the big sins. Backbiting, hateful gossip, saved. Homosexuality, condemned. Backbiting, gossip, slander, hateful, all the judgmental, saved. And abortion, hell. Now, am I saying that abortion is the same as those in certain ways? Obviously, one takes a human life, obviously. But I'm saying they're both sin, right? In fact, isn't it always interesting that when you look at the list of sins, right? Like whenever the Bible gives a list of sins, and it's interesting, it'll have something like adultery mixed with covetousness. <laughs> Nobody places those two in the same category, right? So have you ever seen one church disciplined for covetousness? But you've probably seen someone uh, church disciplined for sexual sin. Now, I'm not saying that we, under, and I'm saying, I'm just saying that we don't know, we don't have any way of actually processing it right. But if we look at it from a law, if we have a proper distinction of law, guess what? We're condemned by all of it. And so I can't turn the gospel into somehow proving I'm saved by what laws I keep. Because if I do that, I would realize that I'm condemned because I, I, every law that I break is serious, but we have to minimize some so that I can walk around going, I'm saved. I'm good. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't get drunk. Whew. I'm good. I'm good. I don't smoke. You know, don't dance or whatever you're supposed to do in West Texas Christianity. But you get the idea, right? Or you can go the route like MacArthur and others have gone. That, you know, your salvations depend on who you vote for for the election. I mean, that's how twisted things have gotten. I mean, what, where does that even show up? But I mean, that's what it turns into. We create our list. Do you see? Everyone understand how that destroys? So you, everyone understands why we, why we have our mortal venial. Because we create a system that says your proof of believing in the gospel is based off what you do. I've got to minimize some of those sins. I've got to. Or I would never prove that I'm saved by, oh, isn't it amazing if I understand sin in the light of the law properly, then I could never look to the law as proof of my salvation because every time I look to the law, what would I discover? Because I'm guilty of one point of the law. That's why you can't look to one's actions to prove one's salvation because the law would always show that your actions are horrible no matter how small you may think. They are. Now, that's where everybody should go, ooh, that's a good point. That's a very important point to this entire discussion. All right, any questions about those? Okay, what number did we stop at? Ooh, we're so close, 19. Now, if we can, if we can finish this tonight, that would be awesome. Right? I need to be done with this. Now, we're not done with the series. So here's what's going to happen, just briefly. Tonight, we're going to try to finish, get to 25. Then we're going to back up, and then we're going to do a history lesson. I'm going to show you how the law and gospel showed up in the earliest Baptist confessions. And then around 18, I think 73, they just, all the Baptist confessions drop law and gospel distinction. Why? Don't know. Okay? Then we'll do, then we'll start working. And then we may do some other things about law and gospel, and then I'll be doing some extra broadcasts where I review some podcasts and sermons on law and gospel so that you can get different perspectives on it, and then we'll start working through all 25. Now, there's one we're going to drop, right? 
Uh, so we'll end up with 24 because one of them is about sacraments. So we, I may include it, but it really, it's more directed towards Catholicism than anything, but okay. But uh, I'm trying to focus on the ones more and focused on us, but all right. Okay, let's stop. All right, Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. This is difficult. Probably makes some of us uncomfortable. Probably makes some people angry. But Lord, I pray that we would at least consider this, even if we disagree with it when it's done, we'll give this serious thought so that we can walk away, hopefully, with a biblical understanding of the difference between law and gospel, and we can glorify you in that difference. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said... That's...